0: Let's turn to Mark chapter 14. I thank you guys for coming tonight. I know there are spring breaks underway and around the corner, and some of you have midterms tomorrow. Anyone? Oh, thanks for coming (laughs) and worship with us. And thanks especially for coming out during Lent. This is an, an intentionally uncomfortable season on the church calendar. Lent is supposed to be a little unpleasant. It's a time of repentance, a time of taking spiritual inventory. But the good news is there is no Lent without Easter, right? There's no meditation on the cross without celebration of resurrection. And Easter joy is just around the corner for us. We're anticipating that. We're looking forward to it. It's coming, but for tonight, Mark chapter 14... The story of Jesus and His death, His passion, His suffering and His death. It is our story, isn't it? We have to allow the story to work its work in us, to work its way into our hearts. We've got to deal with the cross. We have no true, valid Christian faith based only on a resurrection. It's based on a crucifixion and a resurrection. And tonight, our passage, it's especially... Disturbing for me, but we're going to go there anyway. We're going to try to place ourselves in the darkness of a secluded grove of olive trees, the side of a mountain, Mount of Olives, just east of Jerusalem. We're going to begin to dim the lights here a bit. You so might have to strain your eyes somewhat to see the pages, but strain nonetheless, all right? You might even be tempted to fall asleep tonight. And if you do, it might just make the point of the message all the more clear. So let's try to place ourselves there in this night. Maybe the moon's out. It was so beautiful last night, right? I got to Sanford's campus early this morning, got to see the moonlight. Wondered if the moon was out on this particular night for Christ. Maybe the leaves of the olive trees, they're rustling a bit in a breeze. There are 11 men out here in the darkness somewhere. They're nervous. They're suspicious of each other. They're anxious with an awareness that something is about to happen. And it's not something good. You will all fall away, Jesus has just told them. Something bad is going to happen. So let's read together what may be the most haunting and maybe also the most intimate scene that the Gospels provide us with. In the life of Jesus. Mark 14. Going to begin in verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples. Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. And began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground. It's pretty graphic, by the way. In the Greek, he fell onto the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. He came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again came and found them sleeping. Their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough, the hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners rise let us be going see my betrayer is at hand let's pray Jesus we look to you and ask you to pull us into this moment this moment that has been the most unforgettable night of your life among us drag us into it and I ask that you teach us what it means to follow what it means to follow a God who becomes greatly distressed and troubled I pray God as we look at this moment that you would expose us for sleepers we are asleep. I pray that you show us where it is we cannot pray, not my will be yours. Work your work in us, Lord, tonight. In your most precious name, amen. So, the disciples, they've just finished the supper. We looked at that last week. they finished their meal together. They've sung a hymn and... What Chuck led us through earlier in those readings, those selections were taken from the songs of Hillel, the Psalms 114, 115 to 118, uh, little sections out of those psalms were there. Things that Jesus might have sung, and this is something that Jews, at least a little after this time, this historical time period, they would have sung those psalms. Some of those psalms would not have come true for Jesus in that night. Parts about God hearing His prayer and answering. Delivering Him from death. They've sung this hymn, series of hymns. They've made their way outside the city to this mountain, the Mount of Olives. Peter, James, John, and Andrew were actually at this mountain with Jesus a few days earlier. Mark chapter 13 is where Jesus gives this discourse on the last day. The day of the Lord. The day when the Son of Man will come back with power in the clouds. And this discourse in Mark 13, they call it the little apocalypse. This discourse... It instructs us, the people of God, on this side of His resurrection. It shows us how we're to live in anticipation of Christ's return. The gist of what Jesus expects of us is summarized in the last part of chapter 13. I'm going to read it, chapter 13, 32 through 37. How should we live in light of His return? But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge. Each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening or at midnight. Or when the cock crows. That may be familiar. Or in the morning. Lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake, be on guard, stay awake, keep awake, stay awake. Be spiritually alert, is what Jesus is telling Peter, James, John, and Andrew there on that mountain. And on this night, our night, the Mark 14 night, Jesus is there again with them. He's there with the whole 11, Judas, by the way, curiously missing shows up a little bit later but Jesus is there with the eleven they're back on the same mountain where they had that discourse this is going to be the most unforgettable night of the disciples lives and when they come to this garden here of Gethsemane he tells them you guys sit tight right here I've got to go pray you guys sit tight but you three Peter James John come on I need you guys to come with me what an honor that would be you know And my kids, if I could walk in the door, I know there are three of them. Kevin doesn't really understand anything yet. But if I say to Bren, Bren, you, I need you to come with me right now. We got something we need to do. Okay, Dad. Now, in about five years, she'll, whatever. That's what she'll say, probably. I'm enjoying it now. There's a great sense of importance when someone important, okay, I'm important. I'm the dad, all right, to her at least. When someone important invites you to join them for the task. You guys stay over here, but you three, you're coming with me. He opens up to these guys and he he shares with them more of his heart. More than he shares with the other, well, the other, what is it, three minus eight. The other eight sitting there. He tells these guys, remain here and keep watch. And then he goes off just a little further and he prays. And he prays for his. I think the most earnest prayer ever lifted up in all history. Think about that. And he prays that prayer three times, and three times he returns to his dearest comrades that he set apart that night to be with them in his suffering, and he finds them asleep. There are three opportunities, three opportunities to be found faithful on this night. They blow all three of them, and each time Jesus finds them like what we're going to see in this photo there. Joel's going to put up here. Jeff Heine went and visited the Abbey of Gethsemane. It's in Kentucky. And he took some photographs. and went and found, followed this little path where uh, there was a sign that said something like, Garden of Gethsemane this way. And he followed this path and found these stone statues of the disciples. We're going to keep this up during a large part of the message just as a visual force. Now I want us to ask two questions about this passage tonight. One, what does this scene in Gethsemane, what does it teach us about discipleship? In other words, what do we learn from the disciples here about our own following of Jesus? Second question we're going to look at from this passage. What does this scene in Gethsemane teach us about Jesus? So what does this scene teach us about the disciples, about discipleship? And what does this scene teach us about Jesus, about who He is? So turn now to the beginning of Mark chapter 1. I know, we're going to walk through the whole gospel. You should be excited though, right? Mark chapter 1, in the slight darkness, midterm week or spring break or approaching spring break. Here we go. What we're going to do, I'm going to take you through a series of flashbacks. Seven flashbacks, it's a good godly number of them. Seven scenes in the gospel of Mark that I think is going to help us better understand the scene that we have in mark chapter 14 it's kind of like um a movie where it begins with this kind of final climactic moment and then they flash back slumdog millionaire good example if you've seen that movie and you should see it if you have not um i felt like i was back in india i don't know how they cinematically did that but but what we're doing is similar We're beginning with Mark 14. Now we're going to have a series of seven flashbacks to really get the broader storyline that's taking place. Are you ready? Mark chapter 1. And flashback scene number one. It's the call of the disciples. Mark 1, 16 through 20. Here we find Jesus. He's initiating his relationship with four men. These four men are Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. The four guys who are there on the Mount of Olives with Jesus in Mark 13. Three of whom end up in our scene in Gethsemane with Jesus. Here's where it begins. Simon, James, John, Peter. He's been calling these men to join him for quite some time now, hasn't he? It all begins here. And it's impressive what they do in response. They just leave everything, get out of their boats, and they follow Jesus. But we need to always beware. of dramatic demonstrations of faithfulness. I've shared once before here how I asked our campus minister once at the Weston Foundation, University of Georgia. I asked him, how do you know if we're being successful? And to me, it looked like we are being successful. We had tons of people coming, filling up the room. People were coming every week. And I thought, well, Andy, just look around. Of course we're successful. But instead, what he said to me is this, Andy, we will not know if our ministry is successful here for another 10 years. In 10 years, we'll look and see where everybody is. Then we'll know how successful this ministry has been. The vows that you stand up in front of a church and make when you're getting married involve in sickness and in health. There are a lot of people make that commitment that look so healthy in their marriage and 10 years later, they're divorced. There are a lot of disciples out there, in quotes, disciples, who make impressive commitments in the very beginning, but in the end may prove to be fair fans. It takes Gethsemane to show you sometimes. Really what's under the surface of the commitments. Flashback scene number two. This is the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, just a few verses down, beginning in verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came, and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So again, here we have the same group of guys with Jesus. He's gone with Simon and Andrew into their home. He knew Peter's mother-in-law. I mean, if you know my mother-in-law, we're close, right? right? We're getting somewhere in our relationship. He's there, and he's also taking along with him James and John. So there's a string of bonding experiences between these men. It goes; It's well underway here in the first chapter of Mark. Flashback scene three. Simon finds Jesus praying. Chapter one again, verse 35. Jesus has slipped off to a desolate place. And Simon has to hunt him down. People are looking for him. He finds him in that praying posture before the Lord. So by the time of Gethsemane, Peter would have been well acquainted with this habit. Jesus going off to desolate places pray flashback scene four this is the appointment of the twelve chapter three jesus has gone up again on a mountain and he is there choosing the twelve he chooses them according to verse 14 so that they might be with him he chose the disciples so that they might be with him isn't that beautiful to you and he chooses these guys so that he can have their company, so that he can have their fellowship, so that he can travel with them, serve with them, pray with them. Look at verse 16. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James. To whom He gave the name Boanerges, that is, Sons of Thunder. Do you see what's happening? Jesus has nicknamed these three. These three men who show up again in Gethsemane. He has renamed them. His relationship is so special that He has personally assigned them new names. These three that He has pulled aside with Him into Gethsemane. Flashback scene 5. Chapter 4. When Jesus calms the storms, the storm on the sea, beginning in verse 35. And though we find the disciples sleeping in Jesus' moment of need in Gethsemane, here, who's sleeping in the boat? Jesus is sleeping in the boat. It's in the disciples' moment of need, at least in their perceived moment of need. Because really, you know, it's not a moment of need. The Son of God is in the boat with him. The Son of God who has... Power, like only God himself has power, to calm the seas, to still the storms. He's in the boat with them. They're not in need. They have the Son of God. But in Gethsemane, the Son of God, in all of his great power, has laid it all aside. That night, a mob is going to come. To him with swords and clubs, and he will not exert his sea stilling, storm calming power. He lays it down. So in Gethsemane, it's a real moment of need. The disciples might have been reminded of the scene Jesus sleeping. Flashback scene six. This is the, a resurrection scene, a scene where Jesus resurrects Jairus' daughters in chapter five. The latter part of chapter 5. This is one of the greatest displays of Christ's power and his ministry in the gospel of Mark. He takes this dead little girl by the hand. tells her to arise. She rises to life. But for this dramatic display of power, we read in verse 37 that he allowed no one to follow him into Jairus' home. Except who? Peter, James, and John. Same three guys. Flashback scene seven. This is in chapter nine. It's the transfiguration scene. And here in this scene, Jesus, he is gloriously transfigured. He begins to supernaturally glow in this holy brightness. And there with him, suddenly, are the greatest prophetic figures in the history of Israel. Elijah and Moses. I mean, can you believe this? Moses Elijah is right there. And then the very voice of God himself booms out of the sky. This is my beloved son. Who is it that witnesses the scene? Verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. And led them up a high mountain by themselves. And it's such a moving scene that Peter says, this is in verse 6. And Peter, he sees it and he did not know what to answer, what to say. Now turn back to Mark 14. These flashbacks, they're to remind us of the deep personal history that Jesus has with these three men that he pulls aside to join him. He's agonizing in Gethsemane. They've experienced so much together. Jesus and these three. So much. Remember that time, Jesus, when we were stumbling over our fishing gear, trying to get out of our boats. And, you know, we got our feet all wet and we came to follow you that first time. Do you remember that? Do you remember when you renamed us? Do you remember you called us, guys the sons of thunder? Do you remember that time you were sleeping through that awful storm and we were so scared? These are three men that Jesus has taken along with him for so many exciting experiences. He took them with him when he healed Peter's mother-in-law. He took them with him when he raised Jairus' daughter. He took them with him when he was transfigured on that mountain. They have seen so many wonderful things. Been with Jesus for all these glorious moments, a healing, a resurrection, a transfiguration, and a night of Nightmarish agony. Jesus has taken them with him for all these great moments. But on this night, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. I'm not transfigured. you. Greatly distressed. No healing on this night. But misery. No resurrection. But death looming in the distance. There's no great loud voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. There's just silence from heaven. So what does Gethsemane teach us about discipleship? Here's the first lesson. We cannot follow Jesus into His joy without also following Him into His pain. We cannot be invited to share in the glory of Jesus without also being invited to share in the suffering of Jesus. You you cannot ascend the Mount of Transfiguration without also... Ascending the Mount of Olives. Jesus is going to take you guys in so many amazing places. You're going to ascend and have these mountaintop experiences with Him. He will bring you into just newness of life, into healing, into exciting revelations. But He will also lead you into darkness, into dark moments of pain pain and death, and anguish. People get so bent out of shape when they have dry times, when they don't hear God, when they have these challenging times, hard times. Do you really think following Jesus will always lead you to the Mount of Transfiguration, where everything's bright and beautiful, and the voice of God is loud and clear? It will not always be like It's also going to lead you into Gethsemane. Here's another lesson on discipleship from Gethsemane. Stay awake. Remember that Peter, James, and John, the same guys here in this night, they're there in the Mount of Earlier, Mount of Olives a bit earlier. They heard Jesus say, Be on guard, stay awake, keep awake, stay awake. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. And in Gethsemane, three times there's the command: stay awake. It's translated, keep watch. The Greek word is the same in chapter 13. And it's threefold appearance there, and in its threefold appearance here. Stay awake, guys. Stay awake, my brothers. Stay awake. So let's ask ourselves tonight. Are we spiritually awake? Are you poised and ready? Are you spiritually sensitized to what Jesus is doing right now all around you on your campus, in your family, in your own heart? Or are you just asleep like the guys in the... casting stone sculpting behind me. Are you awake? Chuck mentioned to me earlier today at lunch. He said that, you know, this is so many night, This is one of the most critical nights in the life of Jesus. And yet these guys, they completely miss it. Because they're asleep. Aren't you sleeping? Snap out of it. If you're spiritually asleep, repent of the laziness, the spiritual idleness that may plague you. Awake, O oh sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's Ephesians 5.14. And from Jesus again in Mark 13. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So what do we learn about discipleship in Gethsemane? One, we're following someone who does not just walk a primrose path, but also a via dolorosa sad way the way of mourning you cannot follow Jesus into his glory without also following him into his pain and two, stay awake stay spiritually sharp and alert because you don't know when the master is going to call in stay awake second question we're looking at tonight is what can we learn about Jesus from Gethsemane what does it mean that our Lord spent a night that might have looked like this other photo. How do you deal with that? Second person of the Trinity. How do you deal with that? And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is sorrowful even to death. Should we worship someone who admits to such deep distress whose prayers might have at some point looked like the sculpture here? I mean, maybe this is embarrassing. Isn't he supposed to have all this together, you know? Lion of Judah, one to whom every knee will bow, King of kings, Lord of lords. I remember something from my childhood that really rocked me. My great uncle had died and my my dad brought me along to the funeral. And you have to know that my my family, uh, we grew out of the rough, red dirt clay of north georgia and uh when I mean, these guys were just tough as nails had to be I, I never saw my dad share had never seen him shed a tear he was such a bulwark of strength to me i mean these were struggling farmers they grew up in the depression they they fought through the depression they fought through world war they fought the thistles and the thorns that the ground threw at them had to be tough and uh, and in this particular funeral, my dad was a pallbearer. I was left alone way back in the back in this funeral. This country church, no air conditioning, had those little fans, you know, with the wooden. I don't know if you've ever seen these, right? Little wooden handle attached to this little square piece of cardboard paper had some cheesy painting of a church on it or something. Jesus' picture maybe in prayer like this. You'd wave yourself in the heat. That's what kind of church this was. That's the setting. My dad was a bear. He was up in the very front. I could see him through the crowd. I was in the back. I could see him up there. And the preaching was intense and emotionally charged, of course, uh, as you could guess. And, and I remember looking up, and I saw my dad just breaking into tears suddenly, just for a brief moment. You know, I could see him gather back up and strengthen. And the moment was gone. But that unnerved me.
1: I did not know what to do
0: with that experience. Seeing my dad like that. Maybe like the disciples in the garden, I did not know how to answer. But you know, would I really want a father who couldn't mourn with his family? Would I really want my daughter, my sons, to have a father who could not weep with him? I'm becoming more and more grateful the older I get that I worship a God who weeps. That this raw humanity that we see in the gospel of Mark here in his account of Gethsemane, it's unnerving at first. But the shame of the scene, it's not that the strong Savior wept but that the disciples were too busy sleeping to weep with him. This is from Hebrews 5. We read it earlier. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience to what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 4, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive confidence. I'm sorry, may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We need to be willing to follow A Lord who has suffered and wept and agonized. But the main reason He has suffered like this, the main reason that He has had pain and suffering is because He chose to enter into ours. He chose to enter into our broken, messed up, busted up, fouled up realm of life. And because He has offered up loud cries and tears, as Hebrew 5 tells us, because he's faced temptations just as we have, he's all the more approachable now. Now that he's endured a night like this, he's all the more approachable for us. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Look at Jesus' prayer here, for instance. Just in how he suffered like us. Look at his prayer. The most heartfelt petition ever offered to God in history, it ends up being a request that is denied. And I know many of you, you've been praying for a long time for something. Praying with great earnestness. But your prayers have gone unanswered. Maybe just flatly even denied. Don't think God himself doesn't know what this feels like. You think you've had a few rough nights? You have. None rougher than this night. It's the first lesson in the Christology of Gethsemane. What we can learn about Jesus in Gethsemane is that our Lord can sympathize with our weaknesses because He has been tempted in every respect as we have. Think about that when you're struggling with some of the disgusting filth in your life. And it may make the second person of the Trinity a bit embarrassing at first. He struggled with this kind of stuff. He said to face the temptations of this world, this kind of crap, this kind of filth. But then it will be relieving to you. He's faced the temptations and yet to finish out Hebrews 5 or Hebrews 4 without sin. And that's the second lesson. He's faced all this without sin. Not what I want, he closes the prayer. But what you want. Wrestle with the Lord guys. Through the night. Go ahead and launch out your passionate. Pleas to him. Wrestle with it. Cry out to him. But the example of Jesus on this night. It dictates that no matter how desperate. We may plead our will before him. We cannot assert our will to him. If possible. Let the cup. Not my will. Yours. Jesus submitted to the Father and so must we. Doesn't matter how awful the cup. Doesn't matter how hard you have to fight against that sin. Tear out your eye. Cut off your hand. It's better that you lose these and end up righteous and having them and entering to hell. The point is, you do what it takes to fight against sin. No matter what it takes, you drink the cup. You fight the fight. Not my will, but yours. Here's a final lesson. We'll close with this lesson about Jesus from Gethsemane. It may sound a little too simple for you at first. Jesus did not come to save the righteous, but the sinners. And this is the point of last week's message. It's a carryover from last week. It sounds a little maybe oversimple. But I hope that truth never gets too simple for you. There's hardly a better portrayal, I think, of Jesus and His grace for failures than the scene in Gethsemane. I mean, He's telling these guys to stay awake and keep watch with Him as He prepares to take the cup of dying for their failures. In Mark two seventeen. you don't have to turn there, but this is one of the most significant Statements Jesus ever makes about himself in all the Gospels. Mark 2 17, it was on the screen as you came in. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. When Jesus finds the disciples sleeping the first time, he asks Peter, Are you not able to keep watch, to stay awake for one hour? The Greek word here, it's important. S that's the word. It means strong enough, able to, powerful enough. Are you not strong enough in your discipleship, Peter? Are you not, do you lack the power to do what I've asked you to do? Last night I went to uh, to Young Ben's recital. It was awesome. After it was over, I was talking to Claire and Connie, and I made this comment, which seemed really spiritual and cool at the moment. Um, I made this comment to them uh, and and I've been slightly inspired by the night sky and the moon and thinking about Gethsemane and I said to them, you know I need to go home now but maybe I should stay up the whole night just not sleep tonight as I prepare for for this message because I feel like that would be such a powerful and meaningful way for me to identify with Jesus and I've had some sleepless nights before but
1: you know I thought maybe just for my
0: sermon prep I'll just I'll just get myself totally messed up without any sleep and identify with Jesus and preach to you guys. I'd be sleeper than you are all night. That'd be a good idea. Then I got home. And <laughs> my nearly 35-year-old body, the exhaustion set in. And not only did the exhaustion set in, but I started getting sick on my stomach. stomach. I took my little boys out for lunch yesterday and Hayden wanted to go get Chinese. And so we did that. And it just settled with me. I got home and I just felt sick. So sleepy. Tried to make myself sleep. My Stomach was awful. And I slept for a little while. Woke up and in great weakness found myself hovering over a toilet bowl. About midnight. Midnight 15 or so. The truth is I can't really identify with Jesus in this scene. Identify with the disciples. Are you not able? Are you not strong enough? Are you not powerful enough? The Spirit is willing, isn't it? But the flesh is so weak. But I discovered something exciting in my, in my study here in this. When Jesus said at the very beginning, that those who are well have no need of a physician, I came not to call the righteous but sinners, Those who are well, the Greek verb there, it's eschewo. Those who are strong enough, those who are powerful enough, those who have strength in and of themselves, I did not come to save those people. They have no need of my salvation. I came, not for the righteous, but for sinners. I came for those who are not able to keep watch for one hour. I came for those who are not well not strong enough. So Peter, James, John, Andy, we're in good hands. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would haunt us for this night with the the pain of it and even the grace and the beauty of it. And Lord, lay us bear before you call our discipleship into question now. No matter how impressively we have left boats for you, Lord, test us. Test the metal of those commitments. Show me where I'm just fair weather, Lord. And where, where I'm not able. Enable me with the power of your Spirit to live for you. And we rejoice now, Lord, that you have sent your spirit to dwell within us. With every temptation, there is a way out. You have granted us fruits like self-control. We ask that you would cause us, Lord, to be challenged by the failed discipleship of Gethsemane and embrace the power of your spirit in our lives to live out a discipleship modeled after you a that prays the night that goes to a cross. That's where Peter ended up, Lord. A cross. So where we cannot say, you will be done. I pray you'd expose it tonight, Lord. And I pray that we would wrestle with you, confront us hard on that night. I pray that you would win in our wrestling against you. We invite your work, Spirit of God. In the name of Christ we pray.